Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Um, This week we're wrapping up Leviticus. So it's amazing how fast we move through the books of the Bible here. But we're wrapping up Leviticus with our portion, Behukotai. Behukotai. It's a mouthful. And it's, uh, it's in my statutes is what it means, or in my, uh, yeah, in my statutes. But Leviticus, it's one of the books where uh, oftentimes people don't want to spend too much time in it because they think, oh, I'm just going to read all about, you know, various offerings and things like that. And we get into a lot of the details, we go through it. And if we step back from all the detail and look at the book of Leviticus from a you know a thousand foot view then we ask the question of what is the book of Leviticus really all about and I would say if we were to sum it all up it's about God's presence dwelling with man and man dwelling with God okay because it begins speaking okay so if we back up to the end of of Exodus God's glory had just come down on the tabernacle on the Mishkan when they had set up the Mishkan and then Moses can't enter. And then you begin reading in, Le- in Leviticus 1.1, and God begins to say, when a man wants to draw near to God, here's how he's going to draw near to God. So God says, now my presence is in your midst. Okay, now I'm, I'm dwelling among you. Here's how you're going to draw near to me when my presence is among you. And so then we build up through Leviticus. And the first half is really focused on the service in the Mishkan focused on what are the offerings that you bring, uh, how is the priesthood set up, how do they go through the offerings, and various things of that nature. And then the second half of Leviticus is about really how you... Okay, so it starts, the first half is about man's service to God in his space, in the tabernacle. And then the second half is about man's service to God in the world. Okay, so you take what you knew of serving God in his presence and in his space, and then you take what you know of that, and then you go as a priest into the world to spread God's service in your space, right? So it's kind of like two halves of a book, but it's all about God's presence on the earth, dwelling with man, your, your interaction with him, and then your interaction with man, in both cases, really seeking to have God's presence in every aspect of the world. And so... Um, this week, when we get into our portion, um, it's somewhat a continuation of what we've been talking about over the, the past few weeks. The past few weeks, we've talked about a progression that began, um, yeah, a progression that began at the time of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is actually right at the center of the book of Leviticus. When I was talking about these two halves, the dividing point is the Day of Atonement. And over the past few weeks, we've, we've gone through a few topics in our, in our messages with who do you think you are? If y'all remember that one when we were out at Lake Houston Wilderness Park, there was uh, really a question of do you realize who you are, who God has called you to be, who he's made you to be, so that you can then go walk according to 
what you think you are, right? Now, here's the thing. Sometimes it's hard for us to line up what we think we are versus what God says we are, right? And so that's why the question was, who do you think you are? It's not like a disdainful question of, who do you think you are? No, it's a, who do you think you are? Because who you think you are is going to affect how you walk. You know, if you see yourself as a child of God, one who's redeemed, one who's set free, then you're going to begin to walk like that. But if you're like, oh, I'm a, wor- I'm a worm, I'm just a, a, a sinner, and then it's like, well, that's how you're going to walk. You're not going to walk in the right, in the glory, really, that God has prepared for you. So who do you think you are, right? And then we go forward from there. That was, that was a few weeks ago back with, uh, I can't remember which portions those were. But then the next one we went into, we talked about Kedoshim and holiness and how we then walk in holiness. Um, and have a special calling to be a kingdom of priests to the world, right? To minister God's goodness to the world. And then last week we talked about God's relentless pursuit of restoration and how he's, from the very beginning, been setting out to restore what was lost. Because when he created man, he created man for fellowship with man. And he planted a garden, he placed man in it to serve it and to work. And God's presence would walk in the midst of the garden with man such that they could commune with one another. But once man sinned, once man fell, that communion was broken and an exile took place. But God said, that exile is not the end. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring a restoration because God's desire is still to dwell with man. right? And so, so he's been pursuing this restoration. And within all of these, um, within this storyline, let me see if I can... I'm going to go back to the progression a little bit, um, recapping some of the past few weeks. So if we start at the middle of Leviticus with the Day of Atonement, we have Leviticus 16 opening up with the death of Nadav and Abihu. Okay? And it opens up with the death of Nadav and Abihu, who were righteous ones among the nation. And the sages say it's the death of the righteous that atones for the sins of the nation. And that's why the death of Nadab and Abihu was mentioned at the same time as the Day of Atonement. Okay, so they were connecting their death when they entered into the Holy of Holies in an incorrect manner with an atonement that would take place for the nation. And then we have the high priest who intercedes for the nation on the Day of Atonement and, and acquires purification and cleansing for the people, forgiveness for them. Now, then after the people have been cleansed and purified, what happens? Now, then from there, the call is for man to make themselves a sanctuary for God's presence to dwell in them, right? And so we we talked about that in past weeks, um, about various requirements that God put forth that would create a space for God to be able to be in their midst. And then after that, then there comes the further walking in holiness, walking according to the covenant um, and Kedoshim within the commandments of what holiness is, there's a, re- there's a recalling of the Ten Commandments. Okay, so many of the, the, the commandments in Kedoshim refer back to the Ten Commandments. And even within Kedoshim, you've got um, even a recalling of the covenant made at Sinai. Okay, when we're talking about peace offerings in that portion. And so, so you have, when you're looking at the progression, you have the death of the righteous, 
Yeshua, atoning for the sins of the nation. And then we have him interceding as high priest to secure forgiveness for us. And then in purification for us. And then once cleansed, how do we set ourselves apart for a place of God's presence to dwell? And then we, we do that and we walk by the covenant according to his, his commands such that we can become transformed into his image. Right? Which is what the commandments do, is they bring us into a position of being more and more like our Savior. And then after that comes the calling of the priesthood to, to go out and to minister to the world. And part of that was even the observance of God's appointed times and how he set apart his times for the restoration of the world. So within this, we're making space for God in our life, and then we're making time for God in our life. And last week we talked about the Shemitah and the Yovel, about how those times God set apart as times of reset and restoration for people who had fallen on hard times or were in need of restoration and how he had put redemption into the whole economy of Israel. And so then when we come through into today's portion, we're really continuing on this thought of how do God's Sabbaths and appointed times play into the restoration that he is carrying out. And so we're going to go to Leviticus 26, and we're going to start with the last verse of last week's portion, Leviticus 26, 2, and read the beginning of this week's. You shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing, your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the, po- to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old, old store, long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. But, I will, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments... If you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. All right, so, you know, the second part of that reading is never a part that we like to read, right? We like to read about, okay, God, you're going to send the rains in the season, and things are going to be fruitful, and we're going to pursue our enemies, and we're going to see everything established according to your word. And it's like, yeah, 
you know. But God says, I'm going to do that if you'll walk in faithfulness. When you don't walk in faithfulness, then the curses occur naturally, actually, even when they're at God's direction too. But they, it's a natural result of an exile, right? When we don't walk according to God's ways, then we're not making a space for him according to how he has laid out a space. And so he says, since you haven't made, since you aren't making yourselves a sanctuary for me, since you aren't setting aside space for me as I've called you to do, you can't be in my presence. I must send you to exile. Even though sending the people into exile is a profaning of God's name. Right? God does it so that his people can be spared and not destroyed, such that he can then bring them to a point of repentance where he can then bring them back into his presence. Right? So it becomes a necessary cycle for the, the restoration when man is not walking according to God's ways. Now, the ideal is that man walks according to his ways and, and an exile never comes, right? But God still has a way to bring the restoration. Okay, so within Leviticus 26.12, all right, the scripture says, I will walk among you. Right before this, he said, I will set my sanctuary among you and my spirit will not reject you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. So, Rashi speaks about this. And he says that I will walk among you. Right? He says, that's as if, as if to say, I will stroll with you in the Garden of Eden as if I were one of you, and you will not be terrified of me. And then he goes on to say, now one might think that you will not, to say you will not fear me. You know, that sounds very familiar. So God counters it with scripture and says, and I will be your God. So he's like, I will walk among you, right? I'll still be your God. You'll still revere me. You'll still have reverence for me because of the greatness of who he is. But his, he desires to be that close to where there's a fellowship of walking in nearness, right? And there's a couple of things that I want to point out in these early verses that give us a little bit of a picture of the restoration that is being spoken of here in Leviticus, right? So I mentioned about Leviticus having these two halves, and it's about God's dwelling with man. And the book of Leviticus opens up with God saying, here's how you'll draw near to me. And the end of Leviticus closes with um, kind of a, a, a parallel to the offerings that are brought. Uh, we may get to that a little bit later, but in Leviticus 27, there's valuations of people who are saying, well, I'm going to dedicate myself to the Lord or offer myself to the Lord. What's the, what's the amount that you pay as your valuation of giving yourself to the Lord? Well, remember back in the beginning of Leviticus, God's saying, well, here's the Ola offering you're bringing. You're going to bring this bull. You're going to offer it up fully before me, or you're going to bring a peace offering. There's various ways of drawing near, right? And now here at the end of Leviticus, there's another way of drawing near and saying, how am I offering myself up? to the Lord, right? So you've got kind of the, this parallel. So again, in both aspects, you're talking about how do I draw near to God? Well, right before this, as we're getting into Leviticus 26, of course, Leviticus 26 follows on the heels of Leviticus 23 to 25, right? But 23 to 25 is talking about God's appointed times and it gets into the Shemitah and the Yovel. And the Shemitah and the Yovel to just give a high-level overview, the Shemitah is 
the seventh year. So you have six years of regular sowing and harvest, and in the seventh year, you let the land rest. The land has its rest in the seventh year, that's the Shemitah year. And then if you have seven cycles of that, then that completes leading up to the year of Jubilee or the Yovel. Okay, so in the 50th year is an even bigger grand event of uh, slaves going free, uh, debts being set free, and the inheritance of the original inheritance of land being restored to its original owner. Right. So there's a massive restoration that takes place in the Jubilee year. But God warns that if the children of Israel do not observe these Shemitah, you know, if they do not let the land rest, if they do not let the debts go of their neighbor, then God will force the children of Israel out of the land so that the land can observe its Sabbaths. Okay, because so, the land is going to have its Sabbaths. There's a lot of talk about the land in these, uh, in these verses. And just a, like a little foretaste of this, I, I think the reason why the land is spoken of so much is because it's really looking forward to the final redemption. When the new Jerusalem comes down and there is no temple, God's dwelling among the land. His dwelling place is the land. So the land can be likened unto the temple. It's just at what, sp- what point in time are you in? Okay, so God has a temple, right? He has the temple of believers, right? And within, our, within us that he dwells, but then there's also a physical temple that will be rebuilt. His presence can be there as well. Um, it has been in there. And, uh, and so, but the land and the, and the temple have a connection here. Okay, so Leviticus 26.2 says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, there's multiple times in the scripture when God says to keep his, the, his Sabbaths. You know, the seventh-day Sabbath, the, his holy days. In fact, so I, I've, I've wondered how many times that commandment comes into play. So I started to count a little bit, and this is probably an incomplete counting. But within just the first five books, within the Torah, there are no fewer than 12 separate times that, the, that God make, gives the commandment to observe the Sabbath. And then I counted 11, there may be more, of God giving commandments about observing his appointed times. Okay, there's, there's a lot of commands of God saying, reverence my Sabbaths, observe them. But here in Leviticus 26.2, um, it seems as though he's specifically talking about the Shemitah and the Yovel because that's what we've been talking about and the importance of keeping the Shemitah and the Yovel. And then he says, okay, keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. Now, In Leviticus 26, here I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses here. Right after 26:2, after he said that you shall reverence my Sabbaths, he says, "If you will follow my decrees and observe my commandments and perform them, I will provide rains in their time, and the land will give its produce of the tree of the field, or it will give its produce, and the tree of the field will give its fruit." Okay, and so then he goes on and gives several promises about what will take place. And the sages, in looking at this passage, tied this back to the garden. Okay? 
And when, when I said earlier that Rashi mentioned the whole aspect of I will walk among you and be God to you, that was the connection that was made back to the garden because it was in the garden that God walked in the cool of the day. Right? And interestingly enough, the preceding verses, that, so when that I will walk among you is in verse 12 of Leviticus 26. The verses before that all hearken back to the garden. Okay? And so I forgot to put a, a slide in here that gives an explanation of this, but we've talked about chiasms before and atbash structures. Okay? Now, all right, so I'm going to try to give an overview of this before we go into detail on this. But if you look here at this little pattern that we've got going on, the Atbash structure works out such that you have multiple elements and a storyline. And the first element corresponds to the last element. The second element corresponds to the second to last element. Third element, third to last, and so forth. And the word Atbash comes from the Hebrew letters. It's spelled with the first letter of the Hebrew, Aleph Beit, the last, the second, and the second to last, Atbash. Okay, so it's kind of giving this, it's, it's talking about the bookends and how then you, you go down until you get to a central point. And then from the center point, so you, you work your way down from the beginning to a center point, And then from the center point, you work back to the opposite bookend. All right. And the center point is the focal point of the storyline. Now, all of the parts of the storyline matter. But then God's telling an additional story with creating these structures within his word that are saying, hey, here's kind of a central focal point. And so then we look at the scriptures and say, what is that focal point and why? All right, so what we read in Leviticus 26.2, and he said, I will walk among you. Okay, and or actually 26.2 did not say that. That was 26.12 said, I will walk among you. 26.2 said, you shall reverence my Sabbaths, or you observe my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. All right. But if we were to go through, and I, actually what I'm going to do is I'll take this. If we were to look at Leviticus 2 through 9, that's going, which is this part, Leviticus 2 through 9, that corresponds to Genesis 1, 28 to 2, 3. Okay? So, I wish I could, I should have printed out this in a better way. Um, there, I'm going to sit down. You don't need me to stand up right now anyway. You can see the screen. Um, Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? He said, Be fruitful and multiply. Well, if we look back at Leviticus 26, 9, he says, I will turn my attention to you. I will make you fruitful and increase you. Right? So you got the fruitful and the multiply. And then if you go on in, Levitic, or in uh, Genesis 1, after he said, be fruitful and multiply, he said, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so we back up over here. And right before we read about, I will make you fruitful in verse 8, he's talking about um, enemies will fall by the sword. You'll pursue all these. Okay, so you've got subduing the enemies. Subduing enemies in Leviticus 26, verses 7 through 8, corresponding to the subduing the earth. And then in Genesis 1, 28 as well, he says, you'll have 
you will rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, in Leviticus 26, 6, no evil beasts will be in your land, right? So, so the animals are not hurting man here, and they're not hurting man here. Okay, if we continue on in Genesis 1, 29, God said, Behold, I have given you all herbage yielding seed that is on the surface of the entire earth. Okay, and then what we have here in Leviticus 26.5, it's not as, as direct of a match, but he says, You'll eat your bread to, to, to the full and dwell securely in your land. Bread is a, is a seed of a grain. Right? So this is some, something that grew of the ground that yielded a seed that actually nourishes you. And Genesis 1.29 speaks as well of the tree yielding its fruit. Okay, And that's what we see here in Leviticus 26.4 when he says, I will provide rain in their time and the land will produce, it will give its produce and the tree of the field will give its fruit. Now after Genesis 1.29, God blesses the Sabbath day. The seventh day sanctifies it and makes it holy, right? And Leviticus 26.2 speaks of, God, of us observing God's Sabbaths. So you have really, you know, kind of this structure, and it comes down to the rest that God desires to provide. I was going to say, God, one of the beautiful things in Scripture always is this, they go back to God's original intent. You know, so many things, so many teachings I've done where you go, like, what did God originally want for us? Mm -hmm. What was God's best for us? Not what we messed up and God still loves us and gives us grace, but that's, you see the picture of God constantly restoring. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of chiastic structures throughout Scripture, and He's constantly restoring, constantly restoring. In fact, this is the way things are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And bringing these people back to understand this is the way I originally wanted things to be when before there was sin, before there was all the troubles. Right. And this is the way you get that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's beautiful because it can't be constantly does. God's constantly does address Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you think about this, he said, okay, here's what you're to do, and here's all the blessings that are going to come upon you, both onto you and onto your land, right? And then when you know, the ultimate end of that is the Sabbath day, which we look forward, of course, the, the Sabbath of the millenniums is the messianic reign. We think about the, the day that is completely Sabbath that we look forward to when we dwell with God. And, and then also Sabbath is rest, right? And Yeshua is our rest. There therefore remains the Sabbath rest for those who are of the, of, in the kingdom. I'm kind of butchering the quote there, but, it's, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but there, there's a rest that we enter into in Messiah, and that rest is, there's more to come. What is it? Okay. Um, back to Leviticus 26.2, when it does say, you'll keep my Sabbaths and reverence, uh, reverence my sanctuary, because I am the Lord. He's, he's also talking Sabbaths, and, like you just said, perpetuity, future, generations mm -hmm. to, and, and right Sabbaths and sanctuary when you look it up in, in, in the wording and the, the strongs and everything it is Mikdash it's the temples besides just the, the current yeah and so it's going forward mm -hmm. so that we're not going to forget absolutely yeah it's, it's in perpetuity perpetuity right yeah here and the world to come amen yeah and for us to enter into that rest so God's desire is for us to enter into that rest and so that's what we're seeing here. And in Leviticus 26.2, you know, it, it's, it is in reverse order, but it's also part of a, a chiasm from the beginning. But when I see it in reverse order, I'm thinking about a restoration, that which was lost being brought back to that which is right. Um, 
So we have that. Now, interestingly enough, after we read those verses, then in Leviticus 26, 11 through 13, what we see is the Lord saying, I will place my sanctuary among you and my spirit will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke your yoke and made you to walk erect. Okay. When, when I was reading this, I was first struck by the idea of what followed this second portion, you know, this, this part in Leviticus 26 two, with kind of this restoration was God saying, I'll place my sanctuary among you. My spirit will not reject you. And I was like, okay, well, you know what that is? That's another picture of the coming redemption, right? When he does this restoration, then God's dwelling comes down and he, God dwells with man and he walks among man. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. This is, this is looking at the final redemption. And then I kept reading and I was like, wait a second. These other verses sound really familiar, right? I shall be your God, you shall be my people. I brought you out of the land of Egypt so you'd not be their slaves. I broke the yoke. I was like, wait a minute. This is the four expressions of redemption in reverse order. Okay, and so, so if we look back at Exodus 6, the scripture says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptian. I will rescue them from you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. I shall bring you to the land about which I raised my hand to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I shall give it to you as a heritage. Okay? This is the, this, these are parallels, just in reverse. Okay, so let's go back through it. I'll bring you out from under their labors. Corresponds to Leviticus 26, 13, where he says, I broke your yoke. Right? That yoke and labors. And then in Exodus 6, 6, I will rescue you from bondage. In Leviticus 26, 13, he said, you will not be slaves. Exodus 6, 6, I'll redeem you. Exodus, in Leviticus 26, 13, I've brought you out. That's the redemption. Okay, and he says, you will be my people and I will be your God, is what he says in Exodus 6, 7. But in Leviticus 26, 12, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. So even that one was flipped around. And then in Exodus 6, 8, he said, I will bring you to the land that I promised it. It will be your heritage, which corresponds to Leviticus 26, 11, where he says, I will put my sanctuary among you. So again, the sanctuary and the land are together at the center of this one. Again, the new Jerusalem coming down being the land where God and the Lamb are the temple, right? In the land. So again, it's, it's a, again this is about God bringing redemption for the purpose of his dwelling with man, right? It's really a, a cool picture to see there. So there's multiple angles of God saying, I have woven this plan into my word and into my whole plan of restoration. And then essentially, just like Paul was saying earlier, then he's saying, I'm inviting you into this. You have a part to play in this restoration. And what I want you to do is walk according to my commands. I want you to make a space for me in your world. I want you to make time for me in your world. And I've laid out what that looks like in the scripture of what it looks like to make space. I made space for you. You make space for me. 
I will walk among you. And again, that's hearkening back to the garden. Okay, when he says, I will walk among you. In, in Genesis 3, let's go to that. In Genesis 3, 8 through 9, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had just sinned. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Does anybody think that God didn't know where Adam and Eve were hiding? <laughs> He's like, Y'all are really good at this game. You know? <laughs> Come out, I give up. Right? No. God was not saying, where are you? There's, there's actually two Hebrew words for where like, that, that can be used. Okay? And one of them, which actually means, like, where are you locationally, is apho. Okay? But the one that, that is used here is uh, aye. Aye. Okay, and specifically in this, in this case, when he said it was, he was saying to you, he was saying echa. Okay, but aye would be the, the where, where are you that is not about where you are locationally. It's more like a, what happened to you? Where have you gone? You know, something has happened. Something's missing that should be here. And what God's saying is, he's like, I planted this garden for fellowship. Now I'm walking here in the midst, right? And something's wrong because I'm walking in your midst, but you're not here. We don't have the fellowship that I desired. So what has happened? Where have you gone? And so then we know that the, the result, again, was that man had to be exiled from the garden because they had left walking with God. Um, and even, okay, so within the Hebrew, there's multiple uh, conjugations of the verbs. There's various forms of verbs that are used. And in Leviticus 26, when God says, I will walk among you, it's the same exact conjugation that is used in Genesis when, it, when the scripture is saying that he walked among the garden. And it's this special form that's like, it's normally a reflexive type action, like where you're doing unto yourself, okay? But it's also, it's also used for mutual action, okay? To where like two parties doing something together, it's a mutual action, you would use this kind of language. So when he says that the Spirit of God was walking in the garden, it was to be a mutual walking together. And then there's the, wait a minute, we're not mutually walking together. But God's saying in Leviticus 26, I will walk mutually together with you Right? It's the restoration of what was lost there. Yes, Jerry? On the where are you, um, is that him asking where are you because now he realizes that there's a separation has occurred, that mm -hmm. sin has come in and now we're separated from God in the way that we once were. So there's a spiritual decline that occurred. Right, there is. There, absolutely. So it's, it's more of God saying, what has happened? What have, and, and in fact, then... The scriptures say shortly after this, what have you done? What have, and that, that's, that's really what the, the Eha is here that was being asked is, what have you done? Where have you gone from my presence? Why? 
Why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you obey my command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? That was a separation that I had made, a distinction I had made, and you didn't walk in it, right? And so God was lamenting, really. And, and interestingly enough, so this Echa that's asked, Echa is the name of the book of Lamentations. Did you know that? So in, 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 in some aspects, it was a lament of God of what have you done? Heartbroken, right? Yes, Paul. I was going to say anybody that's a parent can relate. That's what I, that's what was hitting my heart is because you know, when your parent, when your kids do things, and you're just like, you know, they have to go through trials, and they have to learn on their own. You get that, but you're just like, you know, if they would just listen to the guiding, you know, that you know what's best for them, and you love them yeah. beyond what they can. I, like I didn't understand how how my parents loved me until I became an adult. Until I really grasp the love yeah. of my parents for me. I just, you know, you get it to a certain extent, of course, but there's another revelation once you become an adult and you're like, wow, they love me beyond what I ever could comprehend. Because mm-hmm. I just didn't get it at that point. You know, you get it, I guess that's just kind of the way it is. But, um, but anyway, that's what that was hitting my heart is like, you want them so much to not be hurt, to not have the separation, to not have the struggles. Mm-hmm. You know, if, they, if they just walk in the ways of the Lord and walk in the ways that you're guiding them in. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's because what, as parents, we're trying to guide our children into life, right? Into, into that which is good. And that's what God's doing multiple times in the scripture, especially if you're reading Ezekiel 20, right? Um, the Lord refers to his commandments that he gives by which if a man does them, he will live. He'll have life. He'll have fullness. He'll be fruitful and multiply. The land will give its produce, right? So there's, there's goodness and there's blessing. It's, it's, that's what God's intent and desire is, is to pour that out. And so, again, in, in all these aspects, we're really looking at a restoration that God is seeking to bring to that which was lost. And then, with the question of, where are you, Right? It's like, what do we do when we hear the sound of God or when we hear his voice? Do we hide or do we turn to him, right? What's our response? And, and our response, of course, is important. And it's, it's, a, it's key for us to get aligned with what God is doing and how he's moving, what his purposes are, such that we can effectively partner with him in this, such that he won't have to say, where are you? He'll say, you're right here. You're walking with me. You know, we're walking together with him. Now, there was a, this week's reading from the Gospels, I felt like fits in line with this. So I want to go take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 20. So what's happened here in the preceding verses, Yeshua had asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Right? And they're like, well, some people say that he's Elijah. Some people say this and that. And they said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, you know, the son of the living God. And Yeshua says, yes, and God has revealed this to you. You know, uh, man didn't reveal this. It was the spirit that did it. And so things are good, right? He's getting revelation. God's revealing him. Now God's, er, you know, God's giving revelation to the apostles. Uh, Yeshua has now said to them, yes, I'm the Messiah. Your belief is confirmed. Awesome. And then we go into 
verse 20, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From that time, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes to be, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, who, who here would have joined right in there with Peter and been like, Yeah, there's no way that's going to happen to you. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. You're going to overthrow Rome. And we're going to see Israel established. This is awesome. Let's go to your coronation. Woo! <laughs> right? Come on. You all know you would have been right there, okay? <laughs> all right. But then Yeshua turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Whew. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Yeshua told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And just thinking about that right there, think about Yeshua, right? Because he could set his mind on the things of the world and be like, look, I can rule and reign. We can do this. We can take over. I'm the Messiah, right? But you know what? If he had placed the desire of man over God's will, what would he have done? He would have forfeited his soul. Right? We often read that passage and think about how it applies to us, but look at Yeshua. He's like, I'm going to be obedient even to the point of death. This is what the Lord has put before me. I'm going to align myself with what God says, not with what man says. Right? powerful thought about submission and obedience to the will of God and that for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man okay so he says for the son of man is going to come the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done truly I say to you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom and so he's essentially saying all things in their proper time and order. And right now, the order that is laid before me is to go and to give my life. And then God will raise me from the dead and I will draw all men unto myself and unto the Father. Right, so he says he's setting his mind on the things of God. So as I was thinking about these aspects for us, and are we setting our mind on the things of God or on the things of man? And what is it in our life that is, that, what, are, what are the things in our life that are causing us to set our eyes on man and lose sight? Or, or even just the desires of man, right? The desires of worldly desires and things like that, as opposed to God's will and what he's accomplishing and what he's called us to do in walking with him, right? Because as we, as we read earlier, God was saying, reverence, or you shall observe my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. You shall, you shall set aside time and space for me to dwell in your midst and in your life. And then as you do that, the land is transformed, the people are transformed, and God's desire of dwelling with man is realized first within our hearts, within our lives, and then carried out to a broader extent 
of what's to come. So I was thinking about uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, right? We think about all the things in the world that we need. We look at the world around us and we see trouble and trial. We see atrocities taking place. We see uh, there's a lot in the world to be fearful of, right? But if we focus on those things that the world has of fear, then we can lose sight of the provision and plan that God has and how He provides a way in the desert, right? That He provides the, the water, the bread, all the things that we need, just as He guided the children of Israel through the desert. In the same way, He takes care of His children. All right, so we keep our eyes on Him and what He desires, what He directs, that's what we walk in, that's what we pursue, such that His will is done. Right? And so... In order to do that, we have to be making time with the Lord. We have to be seeking Him in prayer to say, Lord, what is your heart? What is your desire? Help me to be aligned with that. Give me vision so that I can walk according to your ways, so that I can be part of this restoration as you have desired me to be. Now, as we're... we're wrapping up the book of Leviticus. I'm going to wrap up and Jerry's going to come up and share about the upcoming month. We need to conclude our reading of the book of Leviticus. So let's turn to Leviticus 27 verse 30. We'll read verses 30 to 34 which are the last few verses in Leviticus. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. All together. Chazak, chazak, vanit chazek. Be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. Amen. And so, what happened? Hey, all right. Yeah, that's a secret little, yeah. And uh, (laughs) I don't know, was it the lower right one? No, it was the big one. Nice. Nice. Yeah, we have to get people's attention. Wake up. Um, But yeah, amen. So ultimately, you know, with that conclusion, these are the commandments the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Right? Sinai. Okay, that's the place of the covenant. That's the place where God's saying, I'm taking you as my bride. And um, just a brief thing. I, I don't know if this can be fully applied But what I saw, I was looking up the word inheritance when God said that I was bringing you to give you this this land for your inheritance. Um, The sages at one point in that, uh, I'm blanking on it. I'm blanking on it, so I'm going to have to forget that. Okay, so apparently it was wrong. Um, (laughs) Praise God. All right, so let let me pray and then Jared's going to come up and talk to us about the upcoming month. So, Lord, we give you praise and honor 
Glory, we thank you that you are a God of redemption and restoration. We thank you, Lord, that from the beginning you have been working out your plan and that your desire is to dwell with man. They will make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among or in them. Amen. And Lord, we, we give you glory. We invite your presence, Lord, that you would come into us, that you would impact us, transform us, renew our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we could seek after you all our days and give you honor that we would align ourselves with you, that we would seek your desire and not man's, Lord, that we would seek first the kingdom and your righteousness and then trust you that you will provide all of our needs. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory and praise. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.